This is a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org. I'm going to say, for the Holy Spirit will instruct you about what you're to say in that moment. So while he's dealing with these sobering topics, someone thinks this is as good as moment as any, and someone shouts in the crowd and says, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Just put this eschatological talk on pause. I want you to deal with this situation. I have a brother who doesn't want to share the inheritance with me. And it's a bit like, I don't know, well, half of the church, or, or just more than half, are not on the KP men group, but sometimes you're dealing with sovereignty of God, and you're dealing with politics, and dealing with how voting works in that system, and then someone throws in, does anyone know where I can get a decent mechanic? And then you kind of think to yourself, well, <laughs> okay, we, I mean, we would like to help you, but <laughs> can you be mindful of the thread? You know, we're talking about some very important things. And this is kind of what is happening here. This guy says, hey, hang on, Jesus, whatever you're talking about, I want you to talk about this matter. And Jesus addresses uh, this case firstly by saying to him, he says, who made me judge an arbiter between me and your brother? You know, uh, Jesus is a judge. He's just not the kind of judge who says, you get the sheep and you get the goats. But he's the kind of judge who will say, you are the sheep and you are the goat. You are the bad fish, you are the good fish. And you are the wheat or you are the weeds. And it's up to you as an individual, if you haven't made that decision, to curry favor with the judge because a time is coming when he will say, you go in that direction or you go in that direction. And that will be a time when there will be no time to say, please, can I be in this right uh, column? So right now, make that decision and say, Jesus, I want you to enter into my life and I want you to be judged an arbiter in my favor when that great day comes. And then he says to the rest of the crowd, be careful. So I like it. He says, my friend. So he answers him. And then to the people, he said, be careful and guard yourself against all forms of greed because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of what he has. And the first thing that comes to my mind is, as Jesus is saying this, he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So there isn't a one-size-fits-all kind of greed. There are kinds of greed, species of greed. Okay, Jesus, I don't know what you know, those species look like, they're not giving us more information, but I've kind of broken it down into, okay, less than the 50 shades. There's the obvious greed, right, which we know very clearly, like trying to get more than what is really yours, right, and doing it illegally and breaking the law. And then there are all these kind of examples, like you're over-invoicing a client, for example, or 40%, you know, uh, a premium on a bank transfer. I have cash, you don't, so give me 40% on the transfer. Or maybe some of these corrupt officials that we're hearing in the newspapers who are misappropriating public funds. These are the kind of examples that we'll say if we hear about them, aha, that is greed. But he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And I want to uh, speak about a not so obvious form of greed. It's a form of greed whereby when you look at it from the outset, you will not call it greed as such. Because this guy, remember, this guy is saying Jesus, I have a legal obligation, or he has a legal obligation, to share the inheritance with me. And so please instruct him to share this inheritance with me. And Jesus says, be on your guard against greed. But come on, Jesus, this guy is simply asking for what belongs to him. He's not going beyond what is written. He's not going beyond what is actually his. But Jesus says, then you have to be on your guard. Why? Because there are kinds of greed that when they come in, they've got stealth technology. You know, they come in, fly under the radar. They don't look like greed. They just look like someone who's after what is just, after what is fair. I want what is mine. 
And Paul had to deal with a situation like that. And he says to the church in, in, in Corinth, the fact that you have lawsuits amongst yourselves shows that you're completely defeated already. And then he says to the person who's bringing the lawsuit, he's saying, why would you rather not be defrauded? Why would you not rather be wronged? And so Paul is giving us a situation whereby there are people taking each other to court, people taking each other and saying, you owe me this or you did this, you defrauded me and I want the courts to decide. And he's saying, can't you find someone in the church who can deal with this case? Because don't you know we're going to judge angels? Someone can say amen there. We're going to judge angels. We're going to judge the world. And how then can you go before the Gentiles? And says, if you have lawsuits already, you, that's a defeat for you. And there is a point whereby something that looks like a pursuit of justice can go over the line to become something that has to be questioned and asked, okay, what, what's the motivation? If you're willing to send your brother to jail, uh, and if you're willing, like this guy who came to Jesus, a total stranger, and said, come and be an arbiter in the situation between me and my brother, why would you not rather suffer loss? Why would you not rather allow someone to take advantage of you? And here's the thing, because a lot of the time, it is our claim to fame that no one takes advantage of me. They can do anything else but not me. To other people, but no one takes advantage of me. So I'll get what's mine. And so there's the question that Jesus is posing to us. And here's the warning. Be on your guard. Why? Because not all kinds of greed are so easy to see when they come through the door. And so we already started with the 50 shades of greed or so. And then he goes on to talk about uh, something that is fundamental to all kinds of greed. Whichever kind of greed it is whether it is not so obvious or the obvious, Jesus then says, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so now you see there as, Jesus is giving an antithesis or he's answering the culture and saying that the culture says that your life consists of what you have. But I'm saying to you that your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And this position has not changed 2,000 years later. We have here the world's perspective. Your life is your stuff. Now, this is from Wikipedia. So everyone believes Wikipedia, right? Wikipedia is not fake news. It's, you know, the definitions are pretty cool. So the standard of living is, according to Wikipedia, the level of wealth, comfort, material goods and necessities available to a certain socioeconomic class or certain geographical area. It is the ease at which or with which people living in a place are able to satisfy their needs and or wants. So you see already there that 2,000 years after Jesus said these things, the world is still defining the quality of life according to the things that one has. And if you look at the reason that people go to the streets and protest, we can talk about corruption, we can talk about injustice, we can talk about all sorts of things that we should talk about, but at the core of the issue is the fact that there are some things that are happening that are keeping us from being able to maximize our potential to attain this standard of living. Nations are ranked according to where can you get all this stuff, the easiest is number one, and the most difficult is at the bottom, and we're going out then saying to the government, or whoever is in charge, you guys are messing with my dream. I'm 35 now. I don't even have a stand. And I don't even have the prospect of owning a house because of the prevailing economic environment. And it, possessions drive us, and it is what keeps us uh, talking and the conversation going on. And this is one of the things that we need to be so careful of because it doesn't matter which side of the theological divide you are. This is a deception that if you're not in the prosperity movement and you don't hold to the prosperity doctrine, then you are free from the 
from, from, from the tyranny of things. You are free from, from the danger of greed. Tell those guys across Samora Michelle, they need to hear this message. We don't need to hear it because we're the kind of church that doesn't preach prosperity. We don't talk about money every week. But you find that the way that we look at our lives, when we compare with our friends on Facebook, I've got relatives who cannot believe, what are, what are you guys doing in Zimbabwe? What, are you, what on earth? You guys, you know, if you only knew the opportunities that are available here, if you're only aware of how easy, I mean, someone of your stature, someone who has done what you have done, they're crying for people like you. What are you doing over there? You know, and it's all about, you know, you can't even talk about things like, oh, well, you know, uh, sifting and talking about God and weighing all this. What, weighing what? <laughs> You're not growing any younger. And what do you have to your name? And so this is how people process life. And you have to be very careful. Jesus says your life does not consist in the abundance of your stuff. Right? That's his take. Your life is not in your stuff. So we have a case in point, Israel coming out of Egypt. Now, if you look at Israel, it's a very interesting point. God gives them abundance of of goods, right? He gives them favor with the Egyptians, and they plunder the Egyptians, and they have an abundance, right? And they're leaving Egypt carrying silver, gold, and much wealth. But they get into the wilderness, and then there's no water, right? So they've got money, they've got silver and gold, but there is no ozonated water purified by reverse osmosis to go and buy at a shopping mall. They have to wait for Moses to strike the rock where some people get hungry. They have to wait for bread to fall from the sky. When there's need for meat, they can't go to pick and pay. They have to say, we need meat. Everything that they have, they have to ask. They have to plead with God. And instead of them being sustained by the possessions, they were the ones sustaining the possessions and carrying them and getting tired of it. In fact, the first time you see them using anything of what God blessed them with was when the golden calf was built. Which gives you an insight into what happens when you take away the needs of the people and give them wealth. The heart of man goes towards our building idol of the things I have. And then God sends them a plague and then redirects them and says, now Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle and be careful to build it according to the pattern I showed you on the mountain. And then he gets offerings from the people. And the Bible says that uh, they came to a point where the silversmiths were saying, now tell the people to stop giving because it's too much. Rob and Taps would like to have that problem, I'm very sure. You know? (laughs) Guys, stop giving to the building fund. Now we've got enough. (laughs) that's what happens when people don't need it it's either you're going to build an idol to yourself your ambitions your self-importance or you're going to build the house of God and that's what possessions are for but do you realize that they had all this wealth and yet they could have died in the wilderness carrying that wealth and the writer of Ecclesiastes says I've seen an evil under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind a man to whom listen not the devil Not the devil, God. God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It's a grievous evil. Because when God gives you wealth, he has to give you the power to enjoy it. And the power that is spoken of there is life. And the life of a man is in the mouth of God. 
That's why Jesus, when he was fasting, said, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is not so much, well, I live by the word because I'm reading. That's just part of it. But there's the aspect of if the Lord keeps silent about you, you drop dead. Because the Bible says that he holds all things together by the word of his power. And so if he keeps quiet, this universe ceases to exist. And so his word is what perpetuates us. Our lives are bound up in his word. And fasting is a way in which we remind ourselves, hey, it's not a about the food, it's not about the money, it's not about the cars and the clothes and all the things that I'm able to do. Hang on, if God stops speaking, I'm toast. And so your life and my life do not consist in the things that we have. And I like the CJB. It says, even if a man is rich, which means Jesus is not saying it is a bad thing to be rich, but you can be rich and loaded down with possessions and not have the power to enjoy them. And so you need to look to the one who after he's given you the possession is able to give you the power to enjoy it. So our lives do not consist in the abundance of our possessions. And I was kind of experimenting. You know when you're meditating and you're thinking about how the sermon could go, there's some things you think about, and, oh, okay, I'll, I'll trash that. And you think, oh, well, maybe it depends on the numbers of the people there, how closely together they're sitting and all that, you know. But I'm going to go for this. Please turn to your neighbor and say, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Now say, my life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. So you said it, I didn't. Say it yourself. You agree with Jesus. All right, so I'm going to go to our next headline text. And this one is Luke 12, 32, 34, so I'm not going too far from Luke. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. <laughs> Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide yourselves purses that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So, can you find the word possessions there? So when I was asked to do this, I just went to, the, uh, to, you know, to a concordance and I looked for possessions <laughs> in the Gospels. Very interesting, you find what you, you know, what you find there when you do that. This is one of the, uh, the passages. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Notice it doesn't say sell all your possessions. It says sell your possessions. Okay, so some people were worried before the service. They're sending me messages. Please don't ask me to give this and so on and so forth. <laughs> well, I'm not the one going to ask. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. But it doesn't just say that because he knows that if he says that to you and me, you know, already we've got issues. So Jesus in the new covenant, he likes to make a case. You know, he likes to persuade. He doesn't take from his lordship or his authority. But he loves to make his case to us. And let's look at the case that he makes. The case for generosity. And the first one is the case that doesn't make is the case I'm making. And the case is the testimony of his life. You see, Jesus said my words are spirit and life. Okay, so just because he says it is enough. But for me, it is powerful that the person who says something actually lives by what he says. Unlike what you heard last week about the Pharisees from Brian, that they don't do what they say. Do what they say, but don't do what they do. But Jesus doesn't walk the talk. All right? He talks the walk. There's a difference. He does the walking first, and then he talks about it. You know when Judas was at the table at the Last Supper, Jesus said, Friend, go and do what it is that you want to go and do. 
and he went out to betray Jesus, and no one understood what Jesus was talking about. But do you know what they assumed? They assumed that because Judas had charge of the money bag, it can be only one of two things. Only maybe he's being told to go and buy something for the feast or to make a contribution to the poor. In their minds, there's nothing else that Judas could be going to do. Either something that we need now or something that is going to be given to the poor. That speaks to me if that's how people who are closest to you think about you when they see you reach for your wallet, need or the poor. That speaks to me that way before Jesus laid down his life and gave his life for us, he had given of his substance to the poor. That Jesus was not just a preacher of words to the poor, but he was a preacher with his substance, a preacher with the things that he had. And so when he says, sell your stuff and give to the poor, he's not just saying this on a high and lofty mountain where he himself is untouched by the need and the plight of the poor. You guys are doing this. I don't have to give anything of what I have. But he is already setting the pace and giving of what he has. So what we see there for now is just his testimony, the testimony of his life. And we're going to see some things that he talks about. And then he makes another case on durability. He says, give to the poor because when you do that, you prepare purses for yourselves. And it's very interesting how most times people, when they are, you know, talk about giving to the church, they say we must give to God, right? Give to God, give to God. But Jesus says, make for yourselves. Purses that will not wear out. So the last person, the ultimate benefactor in any good deed that you do is yourself. There's joy when you do it. And there's the eternity and the durability that when you go to heaven, your stuff has gone ahead of you. There is moth and rust. No matter what it is that you buy, no matter how good the quality is of the clothes, it doesn't matter if it's designer wear. There is a law called the bondage to decay. Right? That's in Romans 8.20, that God has assigned to everything that is created. Accountants have come up with a concept called depreciation because they realize that everything is going to come to nothing. But it does so progressively. So this is our assumption of how it's going to do this. Maybe over five years, your car is not going to be worth anything. There's a law behind it. So moth and rust will get to everything that you have. The things that you have are not going to last forever. And if you want something that lasts forever, when my mom was sending, you know, was, I was still at school, one of the things that my mom would ask uh, the shop attendant when she was buying me school shoes was a very simple question. She'd say, Is this shoe durable? She didn't care what it looked like. And I had these very ugly grasshoppers that had holes on the top of them, they looked like a coffin, you know. They were terrible. Terrible. But she didn't care. All she cared about was they're going to last a long time. And that's something that we desire when we buy stuff. We have even given names to certain things about the origin or, or the country of origin of certain things that do not last forever. Or oh, don't last for a long time. Never mind forever, okay. Xinjiang or, you know, that, kind of, that sort of thing. Because we want things that are durable and Jesus is speaking to that desperate need that we have. All right, security. Where no thief breaks in to steal. Now, just to take a very small survey, it's going to be for only one second. Is there anyone here who has never had anything stolen from them ever in their lives? Your second is up. <laughs> it seems like all of us have a memory of something that was stolen from us at one point in our lives. And the, and the speaker is no different. 
You know, I love Jesus is speaking from experience. The Bible says that Judas would help himself to what was in the money bag. So Jesus was having things stolen from him. And who is more anointed than Jesus? Who was more holy than Jesus? So what hope do we have? No matter how much you pray, no matter how anointed you are, anointed cucumbers or water or anointed oil that you put on your stuff, it, it is, it, it's just <laughs> one of those things. If Jesus had someone stealing from him on a regular basis, odds are pretty slim for you and me. And then when he was on the cross, instead of handing his personal effects to his family, the guards chose to gamble for his clothes. And at the moment of death, he had no control over the things that he owned, over the property that he had. He could only watch as the guards were gambling for his stuff. And so we're talking about someone who's got an experience. It says, where thieves do not break in and steal. You want security? People are talking right now about, oh, well, we have bond notes, and people are discussing, where can I put my money in a place where it's secure and no one can touch it? Jesus has a very good answer for you. Give to the poor, and no one is going to wake up in the morning and tell you that your hard-earned money has been turned into an interesting quasi-currency of local variety. You're not going to wake up in the morning and find that all your savings have disappeared. It's one of those things that happens. It doesn't happen as frequently in other nations, but it happens frequently in others. And even in those nations that are more advanced, there are people that lost so much. In 2008, people's houses were foreclosed in the United States and all around Europe in the credit crisis. People lost so much. Put your stuff where you know no one can break in and steal. Jesus is appealing once again. Look at this. You see, sometimes we think that the gospel is so up in the end, abstract. This is practical stuff. You want security? This is where you get it. Next one is heart loyalty, and I'm going to spend quite a lot of time on this one. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. I was saying to my wife, I was saying, <clears throat> I find it interesting, okay, that if a thief breaks into someone's house, right, and the family is there, they're eating, and the thief breaks in, the, the, the husband or the head of the home will stand up and say, please, please, don't, don't touch my family, don't kill us, okay, take anything you want, anything, the car, there are the keys, the TV, take everything, take it all, just don't harm us, but when Jesus comes, Jesus, you can have my life. Just don't touch my stuff. So, thief, have all my stuff. Just don't take my life. Jesus, you can have my life, but let's not talk about my stuff. And so, to the thief, the man's possessions are a ransom for his life. But when Jesus comes, a man's life becomes a ransom for his things. Does that make sense to any one of us? It just doesn't sound, doesn't make sense, right? But isn't this how it is? Now we need scriptures every Sunday morning to encourage the saints, to prize the clenched fists of the saints to give. Let's read a passage every morning and remind our people to give. But these are people that have given their lives to Jesus. And so I'm sure you understand if the Lord wants to test our hearts. Nothing tests 
the commitment of a person to the Lord than their willingness to dispose of things. Your disposition towards things is instructive to the Lord. I remember about 10 years ago, I was going through a difficult time in my life, and a brother just gave me $100. I never had US dollars in my life before. It was a Benjamin Franklin note. I was like, wow, $100? And I was thinking of all the good things I could do with it. And I said, no, let, let, but you know, I'm a good Christian, so I'm going to pray about it and say, Lord, how should I use this money in a way that honors you? And the Lord said, give it to so-and-so. And when I thought about the so-and-so, the so-and-so had no problems, had no issues. They were in a secure job. Everything was going well for them. And there I was, I was, I was, I was, this is all I had. I was desperately in need of it. But the Lord has spoken, and I went to the person, and I said, the Lord has spoken and said, I must give you this. And the person was, was totally gobsmacked. They said, you know what, I've been speaking to God. I've been having, you know, an on and off with God about how he doesn't do anything special for me. He doesn't do anything, you know, run off the mill. He just does run off the mill stuff for me, routine stuff. He never does anything that's off the books, you know. And now, you know, so this was like God answering her. On another occasion, I had a, an iPad. This does not belong to me, it belongs to my wife. So I had one, which I spent a whole year praying for and believing for, and I'd been saying, God, these are the specs and everything. I wanted to come this way, and it came as the latest at the time, and I was so happy. I thought, oh, praise God. My wife actually gave it to me as a birthday present. That's how God answered the prayer. And then on one day, not two years later, God says, I want you to give it to that person, a person I hardly knew. And I did that, my heart was, yeah, <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> and I gave it to the person, and the person said, you know what, the Lord said to me that he's going to give me a sign of his love for her or whatever. He's going to give you an iPad. That's what God has said to the person. And it's that moment when you discover that God is in the business of doing deals with your stuff with other people, and you're the last to know. <laughs> God. You're already promising my stuff to people. <laughs> he will test our hearts around things. He will test our hearts. And I cannot guarantee that he will not say to you, give everything or sell everything you have. I can't guarantee you that. You could do that. Because there's something that the Lord discovers. You know, Genesis 22:12 is a mind-boggling passage. It says, when Abraham was about to kill his son, God said, don't, don't harm the boy. Okay, for now I know that you fear God. But hang on, God, you know all things. That's part of God's street cred, right? He knows everything. He doesn't need to ask, he doesn't need to interrogate, he knows it all. But then he says, I, now I know, after this act. So there is an insight that God gets around the things that we have when we are ready to give them, that he does not get any other way but when he asks you to surrender it. It is at that moment that the Lord knows whether he has your heart or he doesn't. We can sing the songs. I surrender all. Tears streaming down the cheeks. I surrender all. And then, okay. Hmm. Can I have that car, please? And it's three months and someone is still driving that car that God said, give it to someone. And they're still doing deals and debates with God. God, really, but, you know, let's talk about this. God, you know, you know, God, you know. Fifteen reasons why not to give my car, and God has heard all of it. And then we say, and then God looks, okay, so if you can't part with these small things, how are you going to part with your life? 
How do I know that when you raised your hand and said, I'm giving my life, you understood what that meant? That I also understand what you mean that I have got the right to do whatever I want in your life. If these small things that are temporal, they're not even secure. Someone could break in and steal it. It's rusting it three months, you're still driving it, it's depreciating. Is it talking to God? No, God. Please, let's talk about this. And it's depreciating. It is a stern test of our hearts and where our hearts lie. Have we really given our lives to him? Or we only think that we have given our hearts to the Lord. Is it for real? Is it something that we have understood? You see, the rich young ruler, he came before Jesus and he knelt before him. He said, tell me, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus went through the law and said, I've done this stuff. I've done the law. There's one thing you lack. So many of us Christians, we, this is very easy for us. Prayer. Okay, not as easy. Fasting is easier. Praying is easier. And going to evangelize is a lot easier than asking people to give of their stuff. I just don't know. It's just something, when you talk about giving, all the barriers go up. And I know there are all sorts of false prophets and people have taken advantage of people. But generally, so hard to get Christians to part with stuff. You know, people talk about the Macedonian church, about how they are ex- you know, extreme poverty and uh, overwhelming joy welled up. And it's just a very weird passage into rich generosity and all this kind of thing. And people read those passages to encourage their people to give. But you know, the, that, that verse is just one part. The passage goes on to say that they did not do what we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. So these people that are begging for the opportunity to give, are people that have already given themselves to the Lord first. And so sometimes, as those who preach, we go into the trap of thinking everyone's given their life to Jesus, and so guys, the most logical thing to do is for us to give, and we preach giving. But why do we, don't we start with the root of the issue? Have we given our hearts to him? And from a local context, have we given ourselves to them? You know, people talk about, I fellowship at this place, I fellowship where do you fellowship? Where do you fellowship? Maybe even ask that question. Where do you fellowship? People don't ask, where do you belong? Which church do you belong to? That's what we ask. Where do you fellowship? Because there's this transient about church membership. And these guys were sold out to God and they'd given themselves to the apostolic uh, sphere of that time, which was Paul and was led by his people. And therefore, they were begging for the opportunity. Imagine. It's not the pastor with the microphone asking. It is the people saying, Pastor, when you go to give and you go to the, uh, you know, to the rural areas, please don't forget us when you're taking a collection. We don't want to be left out in this most excellent service to the saints. That was what the Macedonians were like, but it started with a giving of self to the Lord. And a surrender of self is what then shows whether we have given uh, or sorry, or whether we are able to give the things that we have. It becomes so easy when our lives are completely surrendered to him. There's a Bible, that's, I mean, there's a Bible verse that says, Jesus again says, uh, if you have not been faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will give you the true riches? Who will give you the true riches? And so the way that we are with possessions becomes an indicator to whether he can trust us with signs and wonders and miracles and things like this. 
And we're still crying out, God, I want signs and wonders, but it's so difficult for me to open my wallet. You know, spiritual power cannot be entrusted to people who are still under the power and the tyranny of things. As the rich young ruler was. And I'm not going to take too long today. I just want to give you some final thoughts on this topic. Just allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. And that's one thought there, which is Jesus' issue, not on whether we have things or we don't. People think, oh, no, so Jesus wants us all to be poor, ragtag Christians. No, that's not what he's after. But what Jesus is after is that he wants us to have things, but not things to have us. Because it's not just demons that possess people, you know. Even things possess people. And if you pray for them, they won't fall down and things come out. Come out! No, it's still in the parking lot or it's at home. That thing that is possessing a person. Am I lying, guys? Maybe I spend too much time on, on the wrong side of things. <laughs> but people are possessed by things. And this is the thing with the rich young ruler. The Bible says he was sad because he had great possessions. But I'll put it to you that he was sad because possessions had him greatly. So yes, he had great possessions, but what really was the issue was that possessions had him in a great way. And that is the problem. We've already seen he blessed the people of Israel. It is God's will, it's God's heart. God delights in the prosperity of his servants. Psalm 35 verse 27. He delights in it. But he does not delight in you being under the tyranny of things. And he will never settle for that. And he will come relentlessly for that thing. And he says, okay, you say your heart is with me. You say you love me. Stuff. Where do we stand? Where are we at with stuff? He will never relent on that issue. And again, Jesus never specified how much is too much to have. Do you realize? He just says, do not uh, have treasure here on earth, right? But what does it look like? How do I know that I now have treasure here on earth as opposed to putting treasure in heaven? Is there a threshold, a percentage of my wealth that I know, okay, 60% must be going to heaven, 40% should be here, then I'm fine. I'm not in violation of the precept. But here's the thing, you see, we are craving rules, and that's what religion does, but Jesus wants us to have a relationship with him and let revelation dictate the pace. There's a man called William Colgate. He's the founder, or was the founder of Colgate Palmolive, a company that I'm very sure you know very well that makes soap and toothpaste. And very early on in his life, he was introduced to this principle of tithing, and he, he pledged to give 10% of his profit to God as a tithe at all times. But as time went on, the revelation grew and grew and started giving 20%. Then at one point he was giving 30%. Then at the point he gave, was giving 50% of what he was getting. And then finally, he came to a point where he was giving 90% of what he had. And do you know what he reasoned? He said, you know what? I reasoned that if God can live on 10%, I can too. So he was giving 90% of what he had. Revelation. It's not there in the Bible. Show me 90%, give 90% and keep 10. It's not there. 
But what is the revelation that you have? Have you understood whatever you have, whether much or little, it is going to perish at some point? Have you understood that whether much or little you have it, but sometimes someone can break in and steal from you? Have you understood that things and the accumulation thereof can affect your relationship and your level of surrender to God? Have you understood those things? Yes, we have understood. So allow those principles to guide you on how much you keep and how much you give away. No rules, no laws, and people are like, please give us something, give us a crutch. Okay, give 10%. There's a nice crutch to get us going, but it's not the best. It's not his heart. He wants us completely free of the tyranny of things that we may be completely submitted to him. He said that you cannot, you cannot serve God and money, whatever you do, it's impossible. And people out there were trying to show Jesus that he was wrong. I can do this. Watch me. Watch me. You can't do it. People of God, this has not been, I know as I was preparing this message, it was, I knew it was going to be a bit difficult. It was difficult for me even preparing it and looking at my own life. But the Lord understands this once what's best for us. When Jesus speaks, it is for our good and for his glory. It is never to ugh, keep us constrained and keep us sad and unhappy. It is so that his glory may shine most brightly through us. I want to encourage you, whatever you have, whether much or whether little, let your relationship with God lead you into doing the kind of things that he tells you to do and be obedient with it and show your surrender and your love for him in that way. Father, I pray for everyone in this place. It's good to have a word and to speak a word, but it's much better to hear and to obey. Lord, as I've been speaking, you have been speaking. I'm trusting. And I pray that whatever you're saying to the people and what they're doing in the hearts of the saints, whether they're here or whether people are gonna to listen to this later, I pray that their hearts will be transformed, their lives will be touched, and their lives will be changed. And that people would live truly free of things to be truly free for you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. There's no condemnation for they that are in Christ Jesus. That you care for us and you're doing this for our, for our benefit. We love you. We give you glory and honor and praise. Thank you, Father. Amen. You have been listening to a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org.